Welcome to Life Behind the Highlight Reel, the podcast that takes things beyond the curated life we all see online. Join hosts Sarah and William Huffman as they dive in with their friends to talk about the good and the hard things that come with a real, not perfect, life behind the highlight reel. Hey everybody, William here and Sarah. And we just need to let you know that we are licensed real estate agents in the state of Minnesota with Remax Results, a good life group. And that's our legal disclaimer. Hey everybody, William here and Sarah and Jory and Dustin. Woo! Yay! All right. So, so excited for this podcast. I'm so excited. Dustin, when did we meet? Um, well, I met Matt probably on the house run a couple of years ago, but we worked together, obviously. Ooh, Matt so. Dutton? Matt Dutton, yeah. Ooh, the Dutton. But, um... Fighting Dutton. Sarah, I met you when, right before we found our house. Yeah. Like, the house on that uh, wild It was summer. Day. I'm just trying to remember, like, yep. the date of when that uh, was. It was hot. It had been... Wow. April? It was summer and it was hot. April. Riveting. Last April, year? April or May. It was because you, you were moving in in May. Yep. Gosh, it's almost been a year. It's really wild. Yeah, because I met you and it was like 30 days till closing. Yeah. It was a done deal. So. Yeah. And here we are. So you guys, today we have Dustin Underwood on our podcast. He is, um, full disclosure, he is a past client. Yes. However, we would now qualify him as more of a friend. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And an ice fishing aficionado. Which is just a small part of what we're going to talk about today. So you know about the tents. The tents? Hubs. He, the hubs? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Come on. I don't I know. I think Dustin and Will talk way more. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll get text messages. He's got this big old Walter and the walleye and the photo. And I'm like, dude, I, I, caught, I caught some, you know. Crappies. 16 ounce bass, you know. <laughs> you know, that's beer. I, I, I went in the hub. Bottle bass. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you were. Yeah, you're in the hub. Yeah, <laughs> never caught anything except those. What is it? Rattle rollers. Rattle reel. Rattle reel. Yeah. Those were actually the most successful. No, no tip ups. Tip ups that were out. Oh, is that a different? I don't even know. There's yeah. so many things about ice fishing. So many. Yeah, it's expensive. Too. You'll go broke buying them. Oh my God, is it the truth? Yeah. All right. So what we want to talk about here is as little or as much as you want, but let's kind of start from the beginning. Like, where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Let's kind of start there. Gotcha. So um, I was born in Center City. That's in Chisago County. Um, and we pretty much lived uh, mostly in Bloomington um, growing up. Um, that was probably like the the most trying time of life, I guess. Okay. Um, you'd, you'd qualify that in your life as the most trying time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, All yeah, right. Yeah. Because we didn't grow up like... We didn't grow up super rich or, you know, had a lot of money or anything yeah. like that. Um, you know, growing up, there was a lot of alcohol and drugs involved. Okay. Um, that's just kind of the lifestyle that we grew up around. Um, and my mom at the time, she'd had a pretty abusive boyfriend. Okay. Um, so life at home was pretty rough. Okay. And um, most of the summers, you know, my mom, she would send us up to my grandma and grandpa's house. Um, that's an aisle. And that was kind of home to me. So that's why okay. I go to Mille Lacs Lake fishing all the oh, time. Oh, okay. Stuff like yep, that makes that sense. Makes sense. Yep, yep. yep. So Mille Lacs Lake was kind of home in the summer times and stuff like that. And um, once we, once she got out of that relationship, um, things just kind of took a turn for the worse. You know, she'd been in the relationship for 12 years. Oh, okay. So. And how old were you when this started and like ended? I was 13 when it ended. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so pretty much your whole life. Yep. Yep. Because my real dad, he wasn't really around. Um, and she had been in that relationship. She ended it when I was 13. My brother at that point had already moved to my grandma and grandpa's. To and how old was he? He was 14. Oh, okay. So he moved to get away from it. And um, we had moved to Egan. And Egan was kind of out of the realm that I was used to. A lot, mm -hmm. of, a lot of the kids had money. Their parents had money, you know, and I was yeah. like, a, I was an outcast, okay. so to speak. Yeah. And that's that's pretty much where I first got in trouble. Okay. Um, <laughs> you, you took a long time to get there. I'm just kidding. Like, so what, about 13 or 14? Yep, about 13, 14. Um, I was in the school, you know, and I just wasn't digging it. Everybody had money, you know, and we were still living pretty poor. Mm-hmm. 
and mom was drinking all the time, out doing drugs with her friends and just trying to take care of those emotions that she was dealing with, I would, I would assume. Right, yeah, trying to bury them. Yep. Yep. And um, it was, I was about six months into the school year. I'd been to school about 30 days out of the whole school year. Okay, yep. Um, and I just had enough. And so I went to the school one day and did a bunch of damage to the school. Okay. Blew up a bunch of fireworks. And All right. They, and then they expelled me. Okay, was, was that your goal? That was my goal. Okay. It was one of them, um, I want attention type of deals. Okay. Is what I, what I think it was. Um, I'm going to pause you for a second here. You're talking about this very calmly and um, very, very uh, sophisticated because you're saying that, you know, it was, it was one of those attention things. Um, I'm assuming at the time you didn't know that's what it was. Absolutely not. Okay. Because there's a lot that's happened between then and now for you to have the clarity and the understanding of, of why you maybe acted out like that. Yep. Most definitely. Okay, cool. And we'll get to that as much or as little as you want. And just yep. so you know, um, you will, and we can leave this part in there because I want people to know this. When people come on here um, and they may want to talk about things, maybe in the moment they're excited to talk about it. But you will have final editing revisions just so you know. So if all of a sudden you're like listening to it and you're like, maybe I don't want to share that, you can totally just, you know. Oh, we're all in. Buddy. Okay. We're all in. <laughs> I, I know you are. I know you are. <laughs> you are an open book, and that's what I really appreciate. Yep. One of the things I love about you. All right, cool. So you decide to go ahead and. Um, well, and can I just pause for a second? Yeah. I think that's one of the things that I love about you, Dustin, is it's like you've had, you know, issues or things that have come up but it's like the way you talk about it it's like there's so much hope in your yeah. story mm -hmm. that like that's the part where I knew we had to have you on this podcast because it's not just about like what happened this is your story is truly a story of hope right that's that's why I don't mind sharing it you know we appreciate it, that it, so much it's done a lot of things I've seen it do things to people's lives so I, I don't really hold anything back, you know. Anyone that runs into me, if they want to know, you know, I'm going to let them have it. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. Here you so, go. Yeah, <laughs> good, bad, yeah. or indifferent. Yeah. All right, so uh, we're probably... So now you just had fireworks... Se seventh in, or eighth grade. In the school. Yeah. Fireworks get expelled. Yep, I get expelled. And at that point, my mom really didn't know what to do with me. Um, so she shipped me to my aunt's in Fergus Falls. Okay. And... Because my brother had already been at my grandma and grandpa's. So my aunt's was like the only place for me to go. And how was that going for your brother? Things at my grandma and grandpa's were great. Okay. I mean, they were old school, you know. They'd whoop your butt with a belt if yeah. you were not yeah. minding it, you know. Yeah. But um, it was a whole different atmosphere. That's why we enjoyed going there in the summer, you know, when we were there off was structure. for school. There was structure. We were outside. I mean, we really didn't even have to be doing a whole lot. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Grandpa always taught us, you know, we were up there, we'd be splitting wood or, you know what I mean, doing stuff in the summertime. We were actually outside doing stuff, whereas when I was in the cities in Bloomington, it was, there was no structure. There was, um, you know, barely any parent at home. Mm -hmm. um, my mom would work, but then they'd go to the bar David Fong's. I don't even know. If oh my gosh. Yes. It's if still it's, there. If it's still there. So, um, that's where they would be. And we would actually, we had a relationship with the bartender because we would call up there and ask for our mom, you know, Oh man, what are we doing for dinner? Or, you know what I mean? So, wow. um, there was really no structure at home. And, um, so life for my brother at my grandma and grandpa's was really, really good. And, um, my aunt's was the only option for me. Okay. So when I got shipped up to my aunt's, um, all my friends were in Egan and Bloomington. Mm -hmm. And that, at that time, we didn't have cell phones or right. everything was long distance. Because you, you were like cut off. You're our age, right? Because we're 41. Yep, I'm 41. Yeah, yeah. So you're an 80s baby. Mm -hmm. Yep, born in 1980 probably. So everything, you know, you didn't have cell phones and stuff. So any call you made from Fergus Falls to the cities was oh, long distance. Long distance. Well... All my friends were in the city, so actually when I ended up at my aunt's um, calling all my friends, I racked up her phone bill. Okay. I was, you know, I wasn't aware. Right. And she got the phone bill for the next month, and I'd only been there a month. Hmm. And she got the phone bill, and it was like 800 and some dollars. Wow. And, you know, not a lot of people made a lot of money back then. Mm hmm And so that pretty much put her through the roof. So wow. she was done with me, too. And so 
Grandma and Grandpa's was the only place for me to go. Okay. And so I went to Grandma and Grandpa's, but by that time, you know, it just felt like nobody really wanted me, wanted right. anything to do with me. So um, I was at, at this point, I was 14, going on 15. I'd went to school for a little bit in Isle, and, you know, I was a city boy mm-hmm. in their eyes, in the kids' eyes. So I got into a lot of fights. Hmm. Um, then the charges came from Egan from the school, the damage to property, all that. So I got my first little taste of being in the system. And I ended up with a fine out of the deal. But I was still running around like I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. You know, I still felt like I didn't want to have that structure from grandma and grandpa because I'd never had it for the last 14 years. So right. I, didn't, I didn't want rules, you know what I mean? Yep. And um, then I'd met a girl at school and, and her parents seemed okay with me being there. So then finally I just ran away. At 15. Okay. So 15 years old, I ran away, and then my mom caught wind of it, and she actually came up there looking for me, and she found me in a, it's called the Pizza Den. It's not there no more, but in Isle, there was this place called the Pizza Den where all the kids would hang out. And I'll never forget her coming in the front door, you know, and she just gave me that look like, what are you doing? It's like, well, you know, I ain't never had no rules. Why do I got to have them now? I'm Mm -hmm. 15, you know what I mean? And so I kind of just bounced back and forth. I lived at the girlfriend's dad's house for a little while. And um, then I ended up back at Grandma and Grandpa's. And they helped me get my first car. And I was working at Isaiah's Golf and Yacht Club. And I was cooking. So I was a cook. I was mm-hmm. making pretty good money, you know, seven fifty plus gratuity. You know. Oh, back in 96? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I was making four seventy five at Hardee's. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, at 16, I was feeling pretty good. I bought a 79 Monte Carlo and jacked the back end of up. Of course you did. You know, and, <laughs> and I had my little, you know, my little hot rod car. But then being in that position where I was making that kind of money and... Um, the crowd I was around, because there was a certain kind of crowd around the golf and yacht club. Mm-hmm. That's when I found drugs. Okay. And a lot of people were doing cocaine and stuff like that, but I found meth. And at 16. At 16. And I tried a little bit, you know, and we were most of us were smoking weed all the time. And I tried a little bit, and that little bit pretty much sent me on my journey okay and it got pretty bad um 17 i'd quit izadi's golf and yacht club um i mean we were running around just raising hell breaking into fish houses um doing all kinds of stuff well then that finally caught up to me and i'd gotten arrested i'd started working at flagship just for a temporary dishwashing job at flagship resort it's another resort up there in mille Lacs. and um They'd came right to my work and arrested me. Hmm. Wow. And I was only 17. <clears throat> and I brought them to where we'd had all these, you know, liquor bottles from the fish houses and stuff like that that hmm. we'd taken and pretty much turned it all over and said, yep, you know, yeah, I did this. And that was my first time that I had to make a decision um, what I wanted for a sentence because I was 17. I wasn't an adult yet, mm-hmm. but I was so close to being an adult that they gave me the option. So they said 90 days in Thistledo. I don't know if you've ever heard of Thistledo. So Thistledo is like a camp for boys and bad kids or whatever. It's um, it's way up north by the Canadian border. Okay. And it's splitting wood and hauling the stacks back and forth. You know, it's like a little boot camp for kids, basically. And um, they said either 90 days in Thistledo or 30 days in jail. Since I was so close to... at se- Okay, 17, almost 18. Almost 18. Okay. And I said, well, I don't want to do 90 days, you know, because I had a habit at this point. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, 30 days, it sounds much better. You know what I mean? It's because I can get out sooner. So you chose 30 days in jail. Yep. I chose the 30 days in jail. So I ended up in Aiken County Jail for 30 days. And it wasn't even 30 days because you got on STS and work day for a day. So I was actually out. STS, sentence to serve. So I don't even know what that is. Like cleaning highways and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I was was doing that. And uh, so I got out in like 18 days. 
And um, <clears throat> so I did the 18 days. I got out. And I was still on one. Like, it just didn't stop because, you know, meth is some really nasty, yep. nasty stuff. And um, then I started selling it and, you know, using it nonstop, selling some maybe to feed my habit, whatever it was. And um, then I started picking up felony, more felony charges as an adult. So was the, was the first felony, so when you were 17, that was a felony they were charging you with? Yep, it was a felony second-degree burglary. Okay. And um, that was that was my first one. And that kind of went away after I turned 18. Hmm. Yep, the, the minor thing or whatever. Yep, yeah. yep. so that kind of stayed on the minor record. Um, but then I started getting felonies as an adult after 18. Um, first one was 19, and it was just like a... It was one after another, basically. And they were all for minor possessions. Anytime you get caught with a pipe for smoking meth, it's yep. a, a fifth-degree felony. Yep. And that's pretty much what the majority of them were. And eventually, you know, after I got three of them, and I'd, I mean, I'd been in and out of jail, you know, from, from the age of 19 till 21, I probably was in there most of that couple years. Okay. I was in and out. I'd do 30 days, and then I'd get out. Then I'd catch another case, and then I'd do 60 days. Then I'd get out. Then they'd violate me because I was still using, and I'd mm -hmm. go do another 30 days. Mm -hmm. You know, So it was in and out, in and out, in and out. And All at the same jail? Mostly. Okay. Mostly. Um, I did some time in Cannabis County, and then Isani County was the big one. Okay. Um, that's where I was in and out of jail the most. And I was kind of around there because when I turned 19, that's when I, that's when my, I found out I was going to have a son. And wow. Okay. And yeah. There's a little right. hanger. So, you know, at 19, I was still using and in that scene and I'd met a girl. Well then, you know, 19, I found out I was going to have a son and I guess we'll back up to that because that's kind of what led to, you know, deeper and deeper use is that, you know, I was going to have a son. Well, then I had a son, and I was still actively using. And I'd had these little jobs here and there um, just to kind of support things. But I was still living in people's houses or in friends' mm -hmm. bedrooms. And it was, you know, it was that lifestyle. So you're pretty much just trying to stay where you could stay and yeah. do what you could do to get by. And... Um, Eventually, that relationship didn't work. Well, and her her grandparents, my son's gr mother's grandparents, yeah, they didn't like me. Oh man, they didn't like me, and um, they wanted to take our son. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so that fueled the fire of use. You know what I mean? That's them. I want to bury these feelings, mm -hmm. and I got really good at that. And, um, so she, she, we had broke up and she had stayed at her grandparents. Well, then I wasn't allowed to be over there. I wasn't mm -hmm. allowed to see my son, you know, so I felt pretty much defeated and I knew that I was actively using and stuff like that. So, um, there was no out for me because at this point, you know, yeah, obviously I was addicted to drugs and, um, so I just felt defeated in the whole sense that I don't have a relationship with my son. And obviously I care about my son, but I can't figure out how to break away from... Like the break the cycle. Right. Break the addiction. Yeah. And... that's That sounds like hell. It is hell. Yeah. And, it, and it's one of them cycles that I kind of grew up with because, you know, my real dad, he was only around off and on until I was seven. And then from seven to 22, 23... I hadn't seen him at all. Mm -hmm. And so that was a huge cycle. Yeah. You know, that's what I was used to. I was never used to a dad. I was used to a grandpa, but not my dad. Mm -hmm. And um, so I pro felt pretty defeated. And so two years had gone by, you know, from 19 to 21, because I had my son in 99. And um, then I'd met another girl, and she got pregnant with my oldest daughter. And... 
I was so far off the deep end, you know, actively using and just trying to get by and, do, you know, maybe go and doing a, a roof job or something to yep. make some money. And um, then she was going to have a baby. And she knew I was using, but she didn't want me using. It was, I mean, obviously, I mean. Right. Yeah. So, and she had another daughter um, with another guy, you know, and I had been trying to take care of her as well. And eventually she didn't want to be with me anymore either because mm-hmm. of the use. And so there were more feelings that I had to bury. Mm-hmm. And so the addiction just got worse and worse. And I'm catching felony cases throughout these two years. Because you're 22 right now at this point. 21, 22. 21, 22. Wow. Yep. And I'd had gotten my third felony. And finally the state said, you know what, that's enough. You're going to prison. So I, I just, if you go to jail, it's up to one year. If you go to prison, it's over one year. So you're looking at, at minimum of one year lockup at this point. One year and a day. Yeah. Yep. Wow. And, and so like those fifth degree felonies, you know, those are, there's a sentencing guideline mm-hmm. for the state of Minnesota. And um, you, it, it'll basically spell it out for you. You get so many chances mm-hmm. in the gray shaded area before you get into the white area. Yeah, the black and white part, yeah. Where the white area is, that's an execution of sentence to the Department of Corrections. Uh, to put it in layman terms, do not pass go, do not collect $200, right. go directly to jail, yep. <laughs> prison in this case. Yep, yep. And Not making light of the situation, just, you know, yeah. No, and so, and that was 2004 is when finally they'd had enough. Okay. Um. And so I executed sentence on all my felonies. So all the cases ran concurrent with each other. And that was my first trip to prison. And, and how long were you in? For a year. One year. Okay. Yep. yep. So, well, you do eight months, four months parole. Okay. That's how that works with good time. But in, e- either way, it's an executed sentence of a year and a day. Yeah. Has to be more than a year. Yep. So it's a year and a day. And then where were you for that? St. Cloud okay. and um, Fairboat. Oh, okay, in between the two. Yep, yep. So anyone that goes to prison, typically you're going to St. Cloud first yeah. for enrollment, and then they send you wherever they're going to send you. Okay. And, um, you know, before I went, my grandma had died. Mm. So that was one more thing. Oh, yeah. Right? And Just putting more shit on the pile. Yep, and that was after my daughter was born and stuff, and then everything went sour with the relationship, and then my grandma died, so it was just fueling this fire. Wow. And um, so when I went to prison, I had it in my head that I got to change this. And, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't known what to do. And, you know, I'd never been to treatment Treatment was never an option. Um, I was just, you know, running rampant this whole time. Was treatment ever even brought up? It was never brought up, you know, and it it is more so now, Mm -hmm. like nowadays with people that have addiction problems. You know, I know people, you know, because I I still try to coach other people that are dealing with these issues. And um, it's brought up more nowadays than it was when I was getting in trouble. Yep. Um, But it was never brought up. when I was getting in trouble. But then I went to St. Cloud Penitentiary and they did the orientation and I was there for about 60 days and they said, you're going to Fairbolt. Now at this point I'm thinking, man, I'm going way down south. I have no one around. Um, You know, my mom, she wasn't going to come visit because she didn't know she had warrants. You know, so I was in this alone. Yeah. 100% alone. And really had to put my big boy pants on mm-hmm. because now I'm in a situation where obviously you're with convicted murderers and all, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And, um, when I got to Fairbolt, um, their directive for me was treatment. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do this department of corrections treatment and, and take it for what it's worth. But mm-hmm. I already, I already had in my mind, you know, after losing my grandma and I'd sobered up and, um, got to prison 
I said, you know what, I'm going to change this. And I felt really good about that. Okay. Yep. Like, like 100%. Like, I was all in. I didn't care what was going on around me. I knew that you could get drugs in prison and still do the things that you wanted to do that you were doing on the outside. But I'd made the decision that this is it. I need to change this. Because right. stuff's really serious at this point. Because now you're 24, 25? Yep, 24. Okay. And... I don't even think I was 24 yet because it was early 2004 that I went. Mm, so okay. I wasn't even 24 yet. And um, and I did everything while I was there to show that I wanted to change. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't been to school since I was 15 because when I ran away, I dropped out of school. Right. Um, so I hadn't been in any type of schooling or anything like that. And so I'm like, oh, I'm going to try for my GED while I'm here too. Well... I didn't even study, and I passed in the top 20% of the nation. Nice. And that was so cool, and it was like one of the biggest achievements because I'm like, man, I ain't been to school since I was 15. Mm-hmm. And I passed all this stuff with flying colors. And um, kind of gives you that spark like, man, what if I apply myself? What if I, what if I you know, right. put some more right. energy into me? See, and I was doing a bunch of classes. I actually still have this trapper keeper at home, and I'd gotten all these certificates, um, alternatives to violence class courses that I took while I was there. I took three different phases of that. Um, You know, ended up getting the certificate for trainer for trainers for Mm -hmm. alternatives to violence. It's like a domestic abuse type Mm -hmm. deal or whatever. And I did all these classes and stuff. And then um, the one that really hit me when I was in there was a thing called Father Reed. Like R-E-A-D? Yeah. Okay. And that's where you could buy books, and they would record you reading the books to send home to your kids. So that one was, I did it, but it was really tough. And because I hadn't had a relationship with my kids. You're good, brother. And so I did that program, and I'd sent the books home, and I sent them to someone that I knew that could maybe get them to my kids. Mm -hmm. And at that point, things had been so bad between me and the kids' moms that, you know, she just kind of held on to them. And she held on to them for, like, a long time. And um, then my grandpa died when I was in prison. Hmm. And that hit me pretty hard. Because it just so happened that when I checked into prison in Fairbold, they'd asked me about, you know, the stuff I told you about, you know, like, what was it like growing up? Was there a dad around or anything like that? Well, I had, when they did that interview, I had labeled my grandpa as basically my father figure. Mm-hmm. And normally in prison, you don't, you don't get out for funerals unless it's a mom or a dad or a brother or sister. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that since I basically labeled my grandpa as my dad, um, the counselor at the prison fought for me to get released to go to the funeral. And so they they cuffed me up, they shackled me up, and they drove me all the way from Fairbolt to Mille Lacs Lake for my grandpa's funeral. Hmm. And um, they wanted it so nobody was there, but my aunt and my mom had been watching for the SUV with me in it to mm-hmm. show up and then they just kind of came in there and the DOC guys were really good about you know letting my mom and aunt come up there with me and and that was really tough because my grandpa was you know he was he was a real he was actually a really good idol for me mm-hmm. you know he a lot of things that he did teach me even if he didn't think they stuck they really stuck and so that was pretty tough for me and he was the one that that was my motivation in prison to turn things around. And so that was really hard. And I'd gotten released from prison. This happened 30 days before I got released from prison. Mm, okay. So I was just about to get released, and then he passed away. And I didn't really know what I was going to do because I didn't have nothing to go home to. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of heartache and heartbreak and... My kids, you know, growing up without me, and that was pretty tough. And I held it together for quite a while. 
but then I ended up falling right back into it. And it, it's such a vicious cycle. You know, I did really good. I got it in a, I got a good job building houses. Okay. Yep. This actually leads up to it. You yeah. Guys, you guys know this market. So mm -hmm. I was actually doing really good. I was building houses. I was living in Watertown. I was building. 2005, six and yep, all that. Yep. Yep. I was building nice houses down in Chaska and Waconia and, and working for a really good company and, and. You know, I wasn't paying attention to the other things that were going on in the world as far as like the market and right. things like that. Well, there was this whole buildup that was coming and, you know, me, I was just trying to make a paycheck and mm -hmm. and take care of things. Well, then I'd met another girl and um, she got pregnant and that was my second daughter on the way and things were going pretty good. We had a place to live. She had the baby. Um I was building houses, things were great, and then the market crashed hmm. in 2008. Wow. I got to be honest, I don't think I've ever thought about that side of the crash. Right. The people doing the work. Yep. So my daughter was born 4608, um, and we'd had our apartment type deal in Watertown. Um, I was working, but then the market went to crap. And... I was on a job in Minnetonka and I remember the boss showing up and he said, this is your last job. And I went, what do you mean? He goes, that's it. I got to lay everybody but two people off. <sighs> and that was a huge blow because we'd just gotten this apartment and based it on our finances. Yeah. And both incomes. Yep, and both incomes. So that, you know, everybody knows that financial stress can do a lot to a relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it did. It really did. And we went through it, man. And I ended up, obviously, I lost my job. So I was on unemployment. And, you know, that's like 60% or whatever yeah, it's, it is. Yeah, it's nothing. And so uh, that was a huge struggle for me. And it ended up putting me right back into that same repetitive behavior of going back and doing drugs. I need to maybe sell a little bit to make some ends meet. And, and uh, that cycle just sucked me right back in. Wow. And I'd been off probation, and, um, but then I started getting more felonies again. And they were the minor felonies, but now they were starting to add up because it pushed me out of these boxes and the sentencing guidelines to where now you're looking at 18 months or 24 months or, you know, so... It was getting more serious, but I didn't, you know, I was just doing me, you know. I, right. It so, sounds selfish, but that's kind of what that cycle does to you. It just it just takes you down, swallows you up, and you just, you don't even know. Because you're so focused on burying the hurt of being a failure at working because you lost your job. And, and you still don't have a relationship with your oldest son and daughter. And, and, and you know, that was the other thing, too. When I went to prison... Um, my son's mom's family, they actually stripped my rights to my son. Hmm. So there was nothing anymore that I could do with that. Mm -hmm. It was, I got to wait until he's old enough to make his own decision hmm. yeah. because there's nothing I can do. And, um, and I tried to work with my oldest daughter's mom and there were other issues there, you know, and I would be kind of in the background hanging out at a mutual friend's house just to see my daughter. But we, you know, she didn't know I was her dad or, you hmm. know. Wow. But we were doing what we could, you know. And she had stuff going on of her own, too, you mm -hmm. know. So I, I, all the blame as far as uh, the relationship with my daughter, you know, that's on me because mm -hmm. I made a lot of really bad choices. And um, so let's get back to 2008, though. Um, I'd lost my job and I just fell back into it and I started getting in trouble again. Mm-hmm. And there was no, uh, there wasn't no time at all before I had ended back up in jail. I mean, it was, it was fast. I was back in jail and more felonies and on my way back to prison wow. for the second time. And this time it was two years. And, you know, I was just so, I was angry at the way it happened because mm -hmm. I felt like I got the short end of the stick. Um, but I was still using, so I, I failed the drug test.
but you know, I felt I felt defeated because you know when I failed the drug test, I told him flat out that yep, I'd been using. I'm gonna fail. You gotta take it. So I took it. I failed. They told me what they wanted me to do. I did every part of it. They wanted me to get a counselor, personal treatment. I did. I went right to Waconia, got a personal treatment counselor, paid for it all out of my own pocket because I didn't have insurance, and. Um, my probation officer at the time, she still issued a warrant. Hmm. I'm like, really? So I turned myself in. I did the right thing. I stopped mm-hmm. using. Mm-hmm. Got the treatment counselor. Stopped using. And turned myself in. And she executed my sentence. Wow. And so I was pretty bitter. I was really bitter. Mm-hmm. I was really angry. And... I had to do the two years. They gave me credit for time served. So I I think I served 14 months, okay. something, like, something like that. And they actually didn't send me to a prison. I went to St. Cloud, but then they sent me. That's when the prisons were really overcrowded. Yeah. So they were contracting with um, private facilities or county jails okay. to house DOC yep. prisoners. Department and of Corrections, DOC, mm-hmm. not Commerce. For us yep. real estate people, folks. <laughs> and so they sent me to Wilmer, Candy, Ohio County Jail, way out west. Like, mm-hmm. where's Wilmer? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I hadn't a clue. And this, we were the first ones to get there from DOC. So they had nothing set up for guys like us as far as any curriculum. Because mm-hmm. that is one thing that the DOC does is they try to provide some kind of curriculum jobs or, you know, like St. Cloud, they make all the license plates for the state of Minnesota. Yeah. Um, Fairbolt makes all them foily, cool-looking balloons that you buy for happy birthday or happy... Mylar ad. balloons? Yeah. Or Anagram? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Fairbolt Prison, they actually make them in a facility down there. So they have these jobs and stuff for... You can go to school. So they try to have some kind of curriculum for you. Well, we were the first ones to go to Wilmer, so they didn't have nothing. And I've always been an artsy kind of guy. I've done tattoos, and I've always been a drawer. You know, mm-hmm. I used to draw. It was one thing I always loved to do. So when we got to Wilmer, um, they were trying to figure out things for us to do. And one of the um, lead directors in there, um, he was a huge photographer of wildlife and he was a hunter and you know so he had these outdoor Mm -hmm. aspects to him and he's like you guys want to paint decoys Hmm. i'm like yeah you know they're gonna pay us to paint decoys cool let's do it you know and at this point were you like because now you're pretty i would assume i know you're an avid ice fisher person do you was that like something you've always been passionate about or? Yep. I've okay. always fished. So like, okay. I, like I said, when we were always going to Isle in the summer and stuff, mm-hmm. we were always fishing. Okay. Okay. That's one thing that, you know, even, even with my mom and the re- abusive relationship that she was in and stuff like that growing up, um, his family had a cabin on Mille Lacs Lake in Wacan. So we were always up there on okay. the weekends and. You know, okay. and then summertime. Okay. So, so yeah, fishing has always been okay. um, part of life. And so we were in Wilmer, and uh, their uh, their idea to get us to something to do was to paint decoys mm-hmm. until they could set up other classes, like a concrete masonry class out in the gym, you know, learn yeah. how to do brickwork or, you know, whatever, some kind of curriculum. So we started painting these decoys, and the director had seen how good I was at it. And he's like, man, you, you're really painting some pretty cool decoys. I mean, I'm hand painting. I'm putting like 40 hours into a, oh, a wow. decoy. And he's like, you want to do a wood duck? And I, I, I was like, what's a wood duck? You know, I don't know what a wood duck is. Mm-hmm. And I looked up a wood duck and I was like, God, that's a pretty bird. Yeah, it is. Yeah, they Super are. Super pretty bird. And I'm like, well, let's try it. You know, I, I had no idea if I was going to be able to do it. So I ended up painting one and it turned out awesome. And he's like, you want to do one more? And I was like, yeah, I'll do another one. Well, then they ended up auctioning those off for United Children's Fund. Okay. And then they kept one for, um, like, in the entryway of the jail facility. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's still there. It was on display before, but I We're going to have to find out. I don't know if it's still there, but um, I think Mark was the director's name, too, if I remember right. But then... Um, 
they really liked how I, how artistic I was. Mm -hmm. So then they're like, Hey, you want to, you want to paint a mural in the jail? And I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, you want to paint a mural in the jail? We'll get you some scaffolding. And when everybody locks down and you can come out, set up the scaffolding and the big projector lights and stuff like that. And I thought, yeah, I'll do it. You know, this is my commissary money. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, and so, you know, every night at lockdown, everybody locked down and I'd go get this big rolling scaffolding and I'd roll it out and I'd set up the projector screen and, um, I painted this mural on the wall in the jail and this was in one of the biggest dorms in there and it was like an old sea scroll. Okay. Yeah. Like the paper and it was a writing on there and it said, if you keep on doing what you have been doing, you will keep on getting what you have been getting. Mm -hmm. If you want to change what you have been getting in life, you need to change what you've been doing. Hmm. And Everyone in the jail thought that was the coolest thing because they'd, they'd sit in their windows and their cells and they'd watch me paint this whole thing out. And then I was up to get shipped out because I was down to like my last two months of time. Okay. And they needed to ship me to a facility uh, to give me some kind of directive for my release. And so they sent me back down to Fairbolt. I didn't have enough time to do their treatment program again. Um, so they decided to give me work release. And so I chose to go to Meeker County jail. It's out in Litchfield. And I didn't know what I was going to do from there on out. Um, I got to Meeker County jail. Again, we were one of the first people there from the mm. department of corrections. Cause and this is about 2010. Yeah. Right around there. Okay. And uh, my timeline might be a little off. That's all good. It's so much stuff. Yeah. But, um, so I got to Meeker County jail and that would have been 2009, now that I think about it. Um, I got to Meeker County Jail, and I didn't have anything. I didn't have a vehicle. I didn't have a license. I'd never, you know, I hadn't had a license in years because I'd been driving without a license. It got, it got um, yanked from me for not paying child support. Right, okay, yeah, you know. makes sense. Um, so I didn't have a license or nothing, and I'd called my cousin and aunt, and I said, hey, you guys bring me a bicycle because I was walking. And I had walked from the Meeker County Jail like three and a half miles to this company that someone told me was hiring. I'd walked there one day. I was allowed to get out for eight hours for the day to go, yep. go apply for work. And I'd walked there one day, and I went and applied, and they gave me the job. And I walked back, and I thought, man, I ain't going to be able to walk this every day. Right. How am I going to make it there on mm -hmm. time, you know? And So they brought me a bike, and I was riding there in the middle of the winter. You know, mm. riding a bicycle out to work. But I had a job, and the job really liked me. They liked my work work ethic. Mm -hmm. You know, I started at the bottom of the chain and moved up. And by the time I was done and at the end of my work release period, you know, I was running the bobcat in the plant, you know, doing all the big stuff. And um, But I couldn't stay in Meeker County. I couldn't stay in Litchfield. I had nothing to go to there. Right. Like the jail was your house. The jail was my house. And I didn't know anybody there, you know, I, you know, and I was just trying to pay for my work release. Obviously child support's coming out of my checks. Um, and barely just enough for, you know, a few munchies for the week in the jail is all yeah. I really had. And, so I went to my cousin's house on work or once I got released from work release and things were just kind of up and down there and didn't really work and it's family. So, you know, you have your moments. Yeah. There's another layer there. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't working. So right back in it, I went, wow. And this time I got really bad. Um, like really, really bad. Like I was, I was running the streets and just, you know, now I had three kids and I wasn't seeing any of them and I was this big fuck up, mm -hmm. so to speak, excuse my language. No, you're but, fine. But that's what I was, you know, I was in, and that was in my head and, you know, my mom, she wanted to see me doing good, but she didn't know what to do and, and my dad obviously still not around and. You know, I had all this, all this stuff going on and I just, I really went off the deep end and then started dabbling with really large amounts of meth. Okay. And 
that was my lifestyle. It was nonstop running around, selling drugs, you know, doing just dumb stuff, you know. I wasn't out stealing from anybody or anything like that. I was just running around, and I, I had a lot of drugs, and I was selling a lot of drugs, and I was making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So life was good, and and I'd met Melissa, and, you know, who wouldn't want that, you know what I mean? Who wouldn't want that lifestyle where you can just go pay cash for a vehicle or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And not a care in the world. Obviously, people are paying attention because mm-hmm. obviously I had a lot of attention mm-hmm. on me, but I didn't care. You know, I was doing what I wanted. I was, I was living the life, you know, like I was feeling good. and But really, I wasn't. Like inside, I was so, I was so sick of it. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, I was falling asleep at the wheel, driving off the road. I, I mean, because it was just nonstop. Like, it was every day, never sleeping, always driving around, going to meet someone, make some more money, you know what I mean? And it was, but I was so sick of it. I really was. Like, I was just, I was so done being who I was. And December 5th, 2011, I was in um, Fridley, and I'd left a friend's house, and I drove north up 65. I got to Grandy, Minnesota, just north of Cambridge, and I went to a friend's house, and there was a few other people there. And I didn't know the circumstances surrounding them because they were involved in stealing stuff and mm-hmm. all kind, you know, stuff that revolves around the drugs. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that. And I'd went there that night and the whole, the whole city of Grandy, it's not real big. It's pretty small. It's just a little hole in the wall town, but Mm -hmm. there was actually cops stationed all around the city, basically watching this girl's house. And I was there because I had the drugs and she had gotten in my truck with me and Melissa and we left there. And as soon as I pulled out of her driveway, I seen lights behind me, headlights. Mm-hmm. And this is like at 12 o'clock at night, you know, going into 12.6. And I got to the T in the road where there was a stop sign. And then I see more headlights coming from the right of that road. And I had the lights behind me. And I'd pulled out. And as soon as I pulled out, it was like a train of vehicles got in right behind me. And all I seen was cop lights. Hmm. Now... They didn't really have a reason to pull me over. And this actually is what saved my life in the long run. Um, They hit their lights. I made a left onto a dirt minimum maintenance road and pulled over. And they told me to get out of the vehicle. And I'd gotten out of the vehicle. I knew the routine. Mm -hmm. I knew the window down, hands out of the vehicle, open the door with your left hand and push the door open with your elbow, you know, and... Mm -hmm. And um, I had my hands up in the air, and I was walking to the back of the vehicle backwards, and they'd slammed me on the ground and bounced my face off the ground. And you could hear me screaming, you know, what the fuck did you do that for? Like, I wasn't resisting or mm-hmm. anything, you know what I mean? So they had rested me and then um, put me in the squad car, and they kept asking if they could search the vehicle, and I said no. And... In all reality, they should have let Melissa just take my truck and drive away because it turned out I had a misdemeanor warrant or something. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what it was. But they wanted to search the vehicle because they had a hunch. Well, they didn't have, I mean, they had more than a hunch. They had heard through the grapevine what I was doing, Mm -hmm. and you know what I mean? Um, But they never let Melissa leave with the vehicle. And um, the other girl in the vehicle, whose house it was that we left, she had actually, um, she had copped a deal. That's why the cops were actually in town. Okay. Because they had busted her prior. Mm-hmm. Nobody really heard about it. Yep. And so she knew the cops were actually there. And so they took her and took her away, and then they detained Melissa as well. And um, they detained us until a drug dog from Anoka County showed up. Oh, wow. Okay. So almost two hours we were sitting in the back of the squad cars, um, waiting for a drug dog because they knew, you mm-hmm. know, their hunch told them that something was in the vehicle. Yeah, she took. Yeah, 
And they knew, yeah. Yeah, they knew. And so the drug dog showed up, and of course he hit on the vehicle. And I had, they had found everything in the vehicle. They found the pipes, and they found 36 grams of meth. Wow. I don't, oh. For someone like me, like, I don't, is, I'm assuming that's a lot. That, that, is, a, that is a lot. Yep. Um, a lot. N- not to, yeah, yeah, Dory, if you're going to, yeah. Um, not to. That is a lot. Yeah. Not to, like, so, like, <laughs> in the movies, they always say, like, let's get an eight ball of Coke. That's like 3.75 grams typically or 3.7, whatever. I'm, I'm not a mathematician on that. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a shit ton. 10, gr- 10 gram. That, that's a lot. Wow. Yeah. Yep. So they found 36 grams in the, in the truck. And that's more than an ounce, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, um, yeah, it is. Wow. You know, they found it. And, and like I said, I was, but something in me, I was so relieved. Wow. Okay. I know it's weird. Cause me, you know, my, my criminal mind immediately, I'm thinking, I know what that is. I know that's a first degree. Oh yeah. Intent to, yeah. First degree and whatever else they want to add to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so in, in my mind, I, you know, in the back of my mind, I knew that it was serious and I knew what my criminal history was and I knew how the sentencing guidelines worked. And this is all going through your head in the car, mm-hmm. in the cop car. Yep. And, and also the other criminal part of me is going through my head in the car like, you can't fucking do that. You can't search my vehicle. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, and I was pissed because they slammed my head off the ground for no reason, too. Like, you know, like I didn't disobey anything. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I knew it was done. I knew I was done. Oh, yeah. And so they brought us to the jail. They found the drugs. They brought us to the jail. And at the same time, they were arresting and hitting everyone that was still at the house. Oh. Oh, yeah, it was a raid. So everyone that was at the house, you know, they got arrested because, you know, they were out robbing people's houses and stealing stuff and selling it to get money to buy the drugs. And, you know, it's just a vicious cycle. It really is. And so then we all end up at the Isani County Jail, a bunch of us. And we all know each other. Can I ask a question? When you end up at the Isani County Jail, are you all in the same room? Or do they separate you all? We're in separate cells. Okay. But... It's com- bars. One common area, correct? W- one common area, separate cells. Separate cells, door, door shuts, but yeah. then there's one common area, like tables. You can play cards. Yeah. And in the holding cells, so you're pretty close. There's like just one hallway in the holding cells, mm-hmm. and then there's a bunch of cells on each side. So we can all talk to each other. Okay, that was my, my yeah. question. And that actually proved to be like really bad for us because then they ended up getting all pissed because we were all talking, you know, and... And the only person that wasn't there was Andrea. Mm. Ooh. So then we figured out what happened. Yeah, pretty pretty quickly. And I was just, I was wore out. I'd been up for like 35 days straight. Like I was just, I was spent. And I crashed hard. Like they moved us, they split us up. And I mean, I was out instantly. Like I slept hard and they ended up waking me up and they wanted me to sign a, they brought in breakfast and I was still pissed. They brought in breakfast, and they wanted me to sign this um, release form to give up my truck and everything in it. And I remember taking the breakfast tray and throwing it at them and told them I wasn't signing shit. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I still remember them slamming me off the ground and all this other stuff. And so I was still mad. But then I knew the seriousness of the charge. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I got booked in officially and put into your common dorm or whatever it is, um, me being in jail and prison so many times, I went and got the Minnesota Sentencing Guideline book right away and looked up and to do my points and see where I was at and what I was actually looking at. And um, the minimum was 120 months. Holy shit. So, so that's 10 years. Right. Minimum. Ten years minimum. And I didn't know how I was going to beat this. I really didn't. And I was still relieved. 
you know, I was relieved. I was done running around. Oh my God, I was so sick of running around. I was so sick of being up every night. I was so sick of trying to find a place to sleep when I was ready to finally sleep. And like, I was really sick of the life. I really was, but I didn't know what else to do. And they charged me with the drugs and then they charged Melissa with the drugs as well because she was within arm's reach of the drugs in the vehicle. And then I found out Melissa was pregnant. Wow. And um, Melissa's dad had bailed her out. Me, they weren't so nice with. They put a three-quarter million dollar bail on me. And That's a serious amount. Well, it's really serious because, I mean, I'm sure you've seen cases on TV yeah. where people have killed people and they're yeah. with 300,000. Yeah. So it was it was one of them things where I wasn't getting out. There was no way I was getting out. And I was bailed out on a fifth degree that was still pending at the same time. And um, something kept telling me Teen Challenge, Minnesota Teen Challenge. It's a treatment facility in Minneapolis, and um, I just wanted to go to Teen Challenge. I mm-hmm. knew it, I knew it wasn't just some thirty-day program or a sixty-day program, um, you know, with your basic AA steps. Mm-hmm. And I don't knock none of that. You know, whatever works for someone getting out of addiction, that's great. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I knew I needed something hardcore, like like this was it. Uh, yeah, I needed something hardcore. So if I, you know. If I got the chance, I was going to stick with it, and Teen Challenge was where I was going to go. And um, I've always been kind of spiritual. My grandpa always went to church and stuff like that. So, you know, I've always believed in God. Um, Don't necessarily go to church. Mm -hmm. I consider the lake my church. Okay. That's where I lose myself and... I'm just spiritual on the lake and I de-stress and decompress. And so, you know, I've always been spiritual and, you know, I had prayed about it in, in the jail. When I was in the jail, I prayed about it and I just said, you know, I just want to be calm. I prayed to be calm and I, and I just prayed for some kind of answer that things were going to be okay because there's a lot going on. Like, yeah. Melissa's pregnant. They're charging her with first degree possession. Like this wow. is this is huge. Like your your first offense is prison. It doesn't matter if you got a clean history. Right. Like she's gonna go to prison and she's pregnant. And so I prayed for just some kind of resolve to the situation. And I had this recovery Bible. And I'll never forget this. I'd been reading the Bible, so I, I, I'm in here, and I ended up sitting six months. I'm in the jail, and I don't know what's going to happen. I know that it's serious. I have a I have a really serious public defender that is fighting for me and telling me, hey, you know, there's hope. One, they didn't have a reason to stop you. Two, they went beyond the means of a traffic stop to conduct a drug investigation, which they had no reason to. Um, and... You know, so I had some things in my corner going for me that I held on to for hope. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I was the first one on on trial for any of this. Mm. Melissa and and they actually charged Andrea in the background with the same drugs too, just mm-hmm. to kind of make it look legit. But right. we already knew what happened. Yeah. Um, but I was the first one on trial for this stuff, and. So I knew that whatever happened with me was going to dictate what happened with Melissa and Andrea. And um, I remember I was reading Romans. I was actually in the book of Romans, and I was reading Romans because I would try to just go through each book. You know, Mm -hmm. I was reading a lot. And I prayed for some kind of answer, some kind of sign. I know this sounds cliche, but I I, 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 I prayed for some kind of answer. And in this recovery Bible, on the sides of the pages, there's always these quotes or things that have to do with what that scripture in the Bible is talking about. Mm-hmm. And I'd prayed for a couple of days. And then um, one morning I woke up and I flipped open 
to where I'd left off, and I'd actually left off and left my bookmark on the page I finished. Normally, I flip it and put it in where I'm going to start. And I opened it up, pulled the bookmark out, I flipped the page, and on that right-hand column, it said, Dismiss, not guilty. And I was like, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Hmm. I was like, is that for me? You know, like, wow. And we had had trial the next week. And that's when all the evidence um, was going to be presented, you know, on my behalf and the questioning of the officers and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And we did the case. We did them both at the same time. Like I said, I had a fifth degree and the first degree pending yeah. at the same time. So we did them both. We questioned all the officers, all that stuff. And then the judge had up to 90 days to become to come back with a decision on whether or not to suppress the evidence in the case. Okay. In both cases, because okay. I was fighting on both. And the fifth degree, yeah, I, I pretty much knew I was probably going to be right. SOL on that yeah. one. But the first degree, I didn't know. And the way my attorney was talking, she like she gave me a lot of hope. And she's just a public defender. And if mm-hmm. anyone knows about the system, public defenders, they get a bad rap. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. They sure can. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, oh, no, they're getting paid by the state. They work for the state. You know, that's yep. not necessarily true. I mean, it, it, you know, I mean, it, it happens, but they get a bad rap. And, and I had this lady that really just went to the ends of the earth for me on this case. And the judge had 90 days on both to come back with a decision and you know this whole time i had made a commitment with myself god every everyone that no matter what happens i'm going to teen challenge like okay that's my commitment because i know i need some kind of serious serious change and it was two weeks tune in each week for more in-depth conversations about life behind the highlight reel Follow us on your favorite podcast platform to make sure you never miss an episode. For today's show notes, head over to lbthr.com.